All right. Welcome. All right. Excellent. We're getting this all taken care of. Hey, I'm going to, speaking of life groups, I'm going to throw some charts up there today. I had a lot of charts and I took a bunch of them out so it wouldn't get too confusing. We're going to throw some charts up on the screen. That is a really important reason to be in a life group because if you're in a life group, your leaders, your life group leaders can explain anything about these charts that you don't know, right? <laughs> okay. Hey, um, uh, we are just looking forward to today. We're going to be talking about when the resurrection is going to happen. When is our resurrection going to happen? And what's that going to be like? What are our, what are our bodies going to be like? And, um, you know, one of the things is just that we know that Jesus is coming back. So when it comes to end times, the big thing that we all need to know is that Jesus is going to return. And when He does, we are going to be so blessed. When we think about how the world ends... It's just as a, a wonderful thing when we think about our bodily resurrection and what is going to be happening when we receive our resurrection body, man, we look forward to that. Like I was thinking about James, right? It talks about how life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then it's gone. And it is so important for us to be thinking about those things because when we think about the future, it impacts how we live today. And so our resurrection is important because it actually affects today. I was thinking about the fact that life is a vapor will allow you to enjoy your life. I remember, um, you know, uh, reading the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a super encouraging book. But one of the things that I thought about was, man, life's a vapor. I need to enjoy every day. So I went and climbed Mount Whitney. And I was thinking about that. My dad was old and our family took him to Big Bear, and when he got into that higher elevation, he started getting chest pains. We had to drive him down the hill real quick. And so I, I got, started thinking to myself, if I'm going to climb Mount Whitney, I better do it now while I'm still young and can still do it. So thinking about life as a vapor helps us to enjoy life. And thinking about life as a vapor makes even the pain and suffering that we're feeling, we remember this is temporary, and we look forward to what's going to happen when we get a new body. So, um, we're just, I, so I just want to remind us what Paul said in 1 Corinthians as he talks about the resurrection. It's something that is super important for us to think about because it affects how we view life. You know, the Apostle Paul in um, 1 Corinthians 15.8, I'm just going to read through some of what's in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15.8, he says, last of all, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how Jesus appeared to him. And he says, last of all, he appeared to one untimely born, talking about himself. And he says, for I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, and this is what he, when he thinks about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means about his resurrection, he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was God's grace in me. Whether then it was I or they, we preach and you believed. And Paul was committed to evangelism because he thought about the fact that this life is a vapor and that he is going to rise from the dead, and what that is going to mean. And for us, when we think rightly about the future, and we think about life as a vapor, it gives us a passion to reach the lost. 
I think about that, like we have, Michelle and I have family members, people that we love, that um, some of them are religious, but we know that some of them, we know they don't know the Lord. And one thing we could do is we could just convince ourselves. Oh, they talk about God. Do you, do you guys ever remember the, the rock music that you used to listen to? Like back in the 70s, it was a thing about how rock music was satanic. And I remember all my friends, like if they listened to a song, like they would listen to Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, and they say it's a Christian group. See, they're talking about heaven. Or if anybody in a song said God. And sometimes we approach our family members in that way. And if anybody says God, or if they say anything like that, we just go, oh, they're a Christian. But one of the things that we see for the Apostle Paul, when we realize that life is a vapor, it makes us not try to convince ourselves that people who don't know the Lord really do know the Lord. We don't do that because we realize there is this urgency. And so we pray for people. We risk relationships to have the right kinds of conversations because we want our family members to know the Lord. So it, it affects how we live life. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, um, what do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, um, the New Testament, that phrase gets repeated often about people who just eat and drink because tomorrow they die. In fact, that's a reference to the flood. Um, when, when God told Noah, I'm going to drown the world. And he preached for 120 years telling people um, a flood's coming. And, and people just ignored him and they said, that's not going to happen. And they were just eating and drinking. And the New Testament says, and then all of a sudden the flood came and it wiped them away. And so we have a sense of urgency and we don't just eat and drink because we know that life is a vapor. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. Don't go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, this is the end of the chapter, Paul just talks about how he doesn't fear death, how he has joy because he knows what's coming. He says this in verse 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality, then will come to pass the saying it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so as believers, we realize that life is a vapor, but we are not afraid of death. Um, for our loved ones that know the Lord, as, it comes, as they come to the end of their life, we're not afraid of that. If we get a diagnosis telling us you have a terminal disease, as believers, we're not afraid because we know what is coming next. In fact, it says in verse 57, this is how Paul ends this chapter. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this is what he says. This is why it's important for us to know the when and the what. He says this, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. We are about the business of the kingdom of God because of what we know is going to happen in the future. So, um, you know, when you think about the, the New Testament writers, uh, they were driven and motivated by that. And, and this is something that we need to recognize. As I throw these charts up there, 
there's some confusing things about it. Um, Jesus said concerning that day or hour, no one knows. And since nobody knows the moment that Jesus is going to be returning, we don't know exactly when these things are going to happen. Because of that, we prepare for the future, right? Like we throw money in the bank, we think about our future, uh, we prepare for the future because we don't know when it's going to happen. But we also live with a sense of urgency. And we live with that sense of urgency because Jesus could come back tomorrow. And so we have that sense of urgency. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the past. And he just says, hey, think about the flood. And remember that that is going to happen. So we, when we think about the, fa- the past, we, we understand how to think about the future. And he just talks about the promise of his coming, the promise of the destruction of the universe. And it's like as we think about those things, it, driven, it drives us and motivates us. You know, Paul just said, oh, Lord, come. When he thought about end times, he was saying, God, come. He talked about believers who love God's appearing. He says, we're waiting from a savior, for a Savior from heaven. And this is something that all of us as believers are excited about. And um, the other thing is that we long for the resurrection of our body. Like, that's one of the things, too, that we think about is not just the return of Jesus, but we think about the details, the things that are going to happen. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, and it's interesting, when you, when you look at the places in the New Testament that talk about a resurrection body, that is associated with judgments, with us giving an account. And so, um, I'm not going to put all the resurrections up, but there's more than one resurrection. There are three. There's a resurrection for believers, There's a resurrection for Old Testament believers and people who die during the tribulation period. And there is a resurrection for unbelievers. So there's three different resurrections and there is a judgment at each of those resurrections. And so as we think about our resurrection body, I'm going to read verse 1 and then you can follow up in verse 2. But it says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And now he's talking about this tent, this body that we have. And he says, For in this tent we groan, longing to, be put, to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. So we are longing for a heavenly body, a heavenly tent. And it says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. So it's not like we want to just get rid of our body. Have you ever felt pain in your body and thought to yourself, I'd like to get rid of this? Um, <laughs> I, I felt that. Not as much as some people I know. But our bodies can be painful. And Paul's saying we don't just want to get rid of this body that we have. We're looking forward to this new tent. For while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And then it goes on in the rest of that passage, and Paul just says, we're looking forward to that knowing that we are going to stand before God and give an account. So that's actually the, the judgment of believers is in this passage talking about looking, groaning, just in, in ourselves groaning. You know, the other thing that is talked about too is it's not just our bodies that have been impacted by sin. 
right? Sin is all, where all pain, sorrow, and suffering comes from. It's where all sickness comes from. Everything wrong with you physically is because of sin. But we, it's not just our bodies. Do you know creation? Have you ever looked around at the world and thought, man, you see natural disasters, and you see terrible things that happen in this world, and you just think, oh, man. Um, Paul tells us that it's not just us. It's all of creation that's groaning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, I'm going to start in verse 18, and then I'll, I'll, we'll pick this up in verse 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So the, all of creation fell, and it fell because God said in the day that you eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die, and it is not just Adam that died, it is all of creation that fell. And then it says in verse 21, right before the verse we'll read here, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And it is not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, the, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So when you see everything wrong with you and you see everything wrong with the world, that makes us long for the moment that God is going to fix it. Okay, so we're not just learning about this stuff for an intellectual exercise. We do it because it affects the way we think. It affects what we prioritize. It helps us enjoy what God has given us. It helps us not be discouraged when things are going wrong. So, then the question is, when will this happen? And we all, we, we know that no one knows the day or hour, right? So we're not, when we talk about when, we are not talking about a date. So anybody, any book that you read that does calculations and tells you when Jesus is coming back, take that book, go over to your trash can, and put it in there. Um, like anybody who says that, anybody who can calculate the dates, and, and people will do this with news articles, and, and they'll be calculating all these things. Get rid of all the books that give you a date. But there are things that God tells us about when. And so um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at verse, um, we'll start in verse 23 actually. And it just says this, that the resurrection is going to occur each in its own order. It says Christ the first fruits. So what's going to happen before we are resurrected? Jesus is going to be resurrected. Has that happened yet? Okay, Paul's been talking about that. That's already happened. So first Jesus is resurrected, and then it goes on, and it says, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. So when are we getting our resurrected body? We are going to get our resurrected body at the coming of Christ. And so we know that's when it's going to happen. And there's some controversy. You, have you heard of the rapture? So the rapture, I believe there will be a rapture. 
And that is when everyone who has died in Christ, everybody who's died since the church began until the rapture, until the rapture happens, everybody will be resurrected. Some people will be resurrected. They'll receive a resurrection body when they have not died. So we'll look at that. And um, so he says each in his first order. And then, so it's after Christ, then we're resurrected at the coming of Jesus. And then after we are resurrected, it says, then comes the end. Now, what is the end like? Well, the end, it goes on in verse 24, and it says, then, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So we're going to be resurrected and then the end comes, and, bef- and after we are resurrected, Jesus is going to reign. And so the question is, when will Jesus reign on earth? So that's part of what we think about. Um, verse 50, it says, um, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then he says in verse 51, This is the whole thing about some people will not die. People are going to live until the time that Jesus comes back. Some people will not die. They will just receive a resurrection body without dying. It says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So the Apostle Paul is is saying when he talks about sleep, that is a euphemism for death. And he says, we're not all going to be, we're, we are not all going to sleep, but we will all be changed. So not everybody sleeps, but everybody is going to be changed and receive their resurrection body in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So the dead will be raised imperishable. And those who are still living will also be changed. And for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Okay, I'm going to throw a chart up there for you now. This is something that your life group leaders will explain to you if you are confused, because your life group leaders have all of this stuff memorized. Okay. So this is a timeline of history, and there are different timelines, okay? So this is the timeline that I believe is accurate, uh, and it starts with creation. And after God created the world, He created the nation of Israel. By the way, Genesis is the beginning of the world and the beginning of the nation of Israel. That is what happens in chapter 12 through 50 of Genesis is where Israel came from. And so God's working through the nation of Israel. He's making promises to Israel in the Old Testament. By the way, many of the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament have not been fulfilled. To this day, they have not been fulfilled. One of the promises made to Israel is that they would have a king that would reign on the throne forever and that they would always be victorious. And guess what? Today, is Israel reigning? Are they victorious over all their enemies? Like we look at Israel in the Middle East and we go, they are plagued 
with one problem after another. Everybody's trying to wipe out Israel. And so Israel, that promise has not been fulfilled. In fact, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, they were excited about what was going to happen because Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah was going to come and reign. He was going to rule on earth. And they're arguing as Jesus is getting ready to go die on the cross, they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit on the right, and who's going to sit on the left. Because they are expecting that Jesus is going to set up His kingdom and reign on earth. And they were shocked when that's not what happened. And so the death of Christ on the cross, um, that began a mystery. This whole thing of God working through the church, that was a mystery. That's not something that anybody pictured. And so Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Uh, you can see that there. And then you have the church. Now, um, you are here. This is where I believe we are, is we are waiting for the rapture to happen, the seven-year tribulation, the, se the second coming of Jesus, the millennial reign, which is when Jesus will come back to this earth and He will reign on earth for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, then we will go into eternity and God will destroy the world. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. So that's one way that people view end times. And Revelation chapter 1 through 3, it's a message to churches. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 through 19 talks about the tribulation period, crazy things that are going to happen on earth. By the way, I believe God takes the church out of the world to save Israel. When you read Romans chapter 9-11, through 11, it talks about how God still has a future for the nation of Israel. And then when you read all these things that happen in chapter 4-19 through 19 of Revelation, it's all these things that God is doing to get Israel's attention, to give them a chance to put their faith in Christ. And Romans tells us that all of Israel will be saved. Israel as a nation will put their faith in Christ and be saved. And so that's what happens in the tribulation. Now there are some who would say that everything in the book of Revelation happened in 70 AD. And uh, when I read Revelation, it talks about hailstones of 100 pounds, talks about earthquakes that move every mountain on earth, talks about plagues that kill a third of mankind, a third of all the fish in the sea. And when you read these things in, in the book of Revelation, some people would say all of that stuff is talking about things that happened in 70 AD. And they don't actually, when it says that an earthquake happened that moved every mountain, it doesn't actually mean that an earthquake happened that moved every mountain. When it says 100-pound hailstones fall out of the sky, that doesn't actually mean that 100-pound hailstones fall out of the sky. It just means that political turbulence happens. And um, if you know me, <laughs> you know that's not how I read the Bible. I think when the Bible says an earthquake happens and moves every mountain, I think that means every mountain moves. I think when it says 100-pound hailstones fall out of the sky, I think that means that 100-pound hailstones fall out of the sky. When it says that a third of mankind is destroyed, I think that means a third of mankind is destroyed. So there are some people that as they look at this, 
This is more the chart that they would have. Is they would say that God was working through Israel, and then Jesus came, and after Jesus came, um, the church replaced Israel. So now all the promises that God made to Israel, He will keep to the church. And when I think about promises and the natural children of, of Abraham, uh, which is what's talked about in Romans 9-11, through 11, I think that the promises that God made to the natural children of Israel, He will keep to the natural children of Israel. But they would say, okay, so we are um, the new Israel. The church is the new Israel. And in 70 AD, Revelation chapter 4 through 18, that all happened in 70 AD. And then right now, there's, and you've heard of amillennialism, is that there is, ah means no, that there's no millennium. So there's no earthly reign of Christ. Christ right now is reigning in people's hearts. Christ right now is reigning in heaven, but there is no earthly reign of Christ. And so then that would mean that it goes from Revelation 14 to 18, and then Revelation 20, which is what describes the, revel the, the millennial reign of Christ. And then Revelation chapter 19 is when Jesus comes back. Now, um, for me, when I read Revelation, and it says Jesus comes back, I think that means Jesus comes back. And then when it says in Revelation 19, Jesus comes back, and in Revelation chapter 20, He reigns on earth. I think that means He comes back, and then He reigns on earth. But there are some people, as they read Revelation, they say, no, Revelation 20 is happening now. And then later, Revelation 19 will happen when Jesus comes back. That's, why, that's one of the main reasons I am not amillennial. And I could give you some other reasons, but one of the things that's described in Revelation chapter 20 is that Satan is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations. And so what, if you're amillennial, and I heard a friend of mine teaching on amillennialism, and he just said, right now, Satan is bound. And I would just say to you, I don't believe Satan's bound. When I read the apostles writing to the church, 1 Peter 5.8, when Peter says, Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, I don't think that Satan's bound if he's a lion looking to devour someone. Um, when, when he says in uh, 2 Corinthians that Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers, I don't think that means that Satan is bound. He is currently blinding people. And so that's why I believe we are not in the millennium because Paul writes all these things to believers and in the church. And so there are some who would say those things have happened in the past and right now we're waiting for Jesus to come back and eternity. So this is not the timeline that I would hold to. That is the timeline of, that, that's more of an amillennial timeline. So when we think about when will our resurrection occur, um, it's going to occur after the resurrection of Jesus. And then I believe that there will be a rapture and the second coming of Christ. And I think at the rapture is when we will all get our spiritual bodies if we believe in Christ. And I think that's what it's talking about when it says, um, then those at His coming. And um, so we have 1 Corinthians 15, which... 
um, I, we looked at earlier that just says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I think that's the rapture. It's going to happen when we don't expect it. First Thessalonians talks about this. And it says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. So when it comes to end times, um, the, the Thessalonian church, one of the first things that Paul taught the Thessalonian church was about end times. And so there were some false teachers going into the Thessalonian church, and he was telling them that those false teachers were saying, uh, you've missed the, the rapture. That's already happened. And so Paul says um, this. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away, your brothers and your, your friends who have died, they didn't miss their resurrection. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So people who have died will be the first to get their resurrection body. And then those who are alive and remain, here, let's look at this. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, the command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's receiving their resurrection body. And then we who are alive and remain, um, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So that's talking about, I believe, the rapture. There are some people that will conflate the rapture and the second coming. So we will look at that. But um, 1 Corinthians um, 4.18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, we're supposed to think about end times and be encouraged that our brothers and sisters in the Lord who have died, they have not missed the rapture. They have not missed their resurrection. Uh, we are still waiting for our resurrection. That is an encouragement. Okay, so when we look at this chart, um, a few things about end times, and this is very confusing for everybody. Have you heard of a pre-trib rapture? a mid-trib rapture, and a post-trib rapture. So as people try to lay out when will the rapture happen, some people say the rapture will happen first. That's what I believe. Um, some people believe that the rapture, see where it says seven-year tribulation, and there's like a little line in the middle? When you're reading through the book of Revelation, it, it actually says it's seven years, it counts the days, and then it talks about the seals, the, the trumpets and the bowls. And what you find out is that halfway through the tribulation, the first half is bad. But then the second half gets really bad. And so there are, there are people who, as they read this, they say, no, the church is raptured first. Other people say, no, right before the tribulation gets really bad, that's when people are raptured. So that, that's a mid-trib rapture. And then there's other people who believe that believers will live through the whole tribulation, and they are raptured at the end of the tribulation. So they are caught up into the clouds to meet Christ, and then as He's coming down, they come back down with Him. So that's a post 
tribulation rapture. Okay, so all of that is a premillennial view, all three of those. So everybody gets confused. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Are you premillennial, amillennial? So the millennium, millennial views, is talking about in relation to the 1,000-year reign of Christ. When does Jesus come back? Does he come back before the millennium? Or does he come back after the millennium? So that's the millennial views. Like those are the bigger categories. And like I said, I believe in a premillennial return of Christ because Revelation 19 comes before Revelation 20. So that's, that's my, my thing. So, um, but with the rapture, so at the rapture, there is the resurrection body for New Testament Christians. The, at the second coming is when Old Testament believers and people who die during the tribulation period, that's when they receive their bodies. And then at the very end, in eternity, that is when unbelievers are resurrected. Now, each of those resurrections has a judgment. So the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of rewards for Christians, that happens when the church gets the resurrection body and then we are judged for our rewards. At the end of the seven-year tribulation is in Matthew chapter 25. It talks about the sheep-goat judgment where God gathers everybody up. And He says, remember those words where He says, remember when I was hungry and you fed me? And they say, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And he says, the way you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And then he says, those of you who, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was thirsty, you did not give me something to drink. And people say to him, hey, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and not give you something to eat or drink? And he says, in that you didn't do it to the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do it to me. And then it talks about how he brings the sheep to one side and he executes all the goats. Um, that's when Jesus executes the unbelievers is at his second coming. So that's the sheep-goat judgment. Then there is the great white throne judgment, which is described in Revelation, where all unbelievers stand before God and when they are cast into the lake of fire. That happens at the end of the millennium. So when do we get a resurrection body? We're waiting for it. And it's, I believe, at the rapture, or some people would put those events together and say it's the second coming of Christ. So, okay, so do we know when it happens? We don't know the day or the hour, but we know it's after Jesus and it's before the end, right? Before Jesus' reign on earth. So here's the next question, now that I've resolved that for you. Here's the next one. What will our resurrection bodies be like? Have you ever wondered that? what your resurrection body will be like. So 1 Corinthians 15.35 says this. Paul's dealing with some skeptics that are like, really, seriously, there's going to be a resurrection? What are our bodies going to be like? He says this, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Have you ever, heard, have you ever thought about that? Um, if, we, if our bodies are resurrected, what happens to people who are cremated, where they're burned? and their bodies become ash? What happens to people who drown in the ocean and the fish come and they eat those people? And then what do we do? We go fishing and we catch the fish 
and then we eat the fish. Like if you think about what happens to a person's molecules. And so you have these skeptics going, uh, you know, how, how, is, how are pe- people going to be resurrected? And then this is how Paul responds in verse 15, he said, or 36. He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God who gives it a body as he is chosen to each kind of seed its own body. So Paul just says, God can do this. And uh, he's, it's like a seed that when you put it into the ground, that body is, or that seed grows, but it's not the exact same seed. It, it grows into something else. And so Paul just says, God can do this. He will give you a new body. Verse 39, and he's just going to say that there are all kinds of different bodies. It says, um, not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of earthly is of another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ, for star differs from star in glory. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. If there is a natural body, okay, do we have a natural body? Then there will be a spiritual body. And so he just says, hey, God's going to do this. He is going to give us a spiritual body. So um, I've heard uh, many people say, oh man, you can't get cremated because if you get cremated, what happens to your body? But I just want you to rest assured, you don't need to worry what happens to your earthly body. God will give you a resurrection body. Now, what is this body like? Well, right now we're perishable. That means we can die, right? Um, there are things wrong with us. We have to be careful that we, that we live. Um, but we are going to be raised imperishable. That's immortal that we will not be able to be killed. Um, When God gives us a new body, we will live for eternity in that body. Um, This perishable body must put put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Like think about aging. Um, Our bodies are constantly dying. In fact, you can read some studies that talk about how often the cells in the body replenish themselves. Uh, Some people say that our cells... Um, after seven years, none of our cells that we currently have, we will still have. Now, that's not actually true. Many of our cells are reproduced. There are some neurons that you will have your entire life. So there, so, but most of our body is constantly being replenished. And so we are going to be in an eternal body, and even though our body is constantly changing, um, we, we were sown in dishonor. We're going to be raised in glory. Uh, we were sown in weakness. That's the tendency towards sin. That's the, the tendency to get sick. Uh, we will not ever get sick. We will never sin in our new bodies. Uh, we will, th- our natural body will become a spiritual body. It's not that we don't have a body. Uh, we will have a body, but it's going to be a spiritual body. 
Um, now, one of the things the Bible tells us is that Jesus was the first fruits. So when you want to know what is our resurrection body going to be like, one of the things we can do is just read the New Testament. We could just ask ourselves, what was Jesus' body like? And um, it's, we don't know everything, but there are some things we can know. Um, one of the things is that Jesus had a fleshly body. Look at this in Luke 24, 39. He says, See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When Jesus came back, He came back with a body. He was recognizable. Like they looked at Him. They touched, they touched Him. Uh, this next part I really like. He says, and while, they were dis- and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. So when we have a resurrection body, we're going to be able to eat. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? I like food. I like the fact I can eat. Uh, one of the awesome things is I'm sure that when I have a resurrection body, I won't struggle with the size of my stomach. Uh, we were talking about how many of us eat, and our bellies are big, and we're trying to eat less so our be- bellies will be smaller. But Jesus ate, so in our resurrection body, it'll be a physical body, we'll be able to eat. Um, it goes on, and uh, this is uh, the conversation with Thomas. Remember the disciples saw Jesus? And Thomas says um, he, he, he had put his hope in Christ, and then Jesus died. And Thomas says, man, I am never going to believe in something untrue again. And so he said, unless I see Jesus and touch him, I will not believe. And so it says this in John 20, eight days later, it says um, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So this time Thomas is with the disciples. And all the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So what does that tell you about Jesus' body? He just appeared. He like walked through a wall. Or He just appeared there. And so His body is different. It's physical, but He could just appear uh, in the midst of them. And it goes on. And He says to uh, Thomas, he says, put your finger in here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side, but do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, you've believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who, um, who, who have not seen and yet believe. And so Thomas is touching him. When we think about Jesus, Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud. So we're going to have bodies that don't have the limitations that our current bodies have. Uh, One of the things that I think about just in regard to all of this is we look forward to our resurrection body and what our bodies are going to be like. Um, We just think about how that is going to impact the whole nature of life. I think about Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 where it just, this is talking about heaven. We're going to go into eternity with our bodies. And it just says that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, when we think about these things, how should we respond? I think we would respond 
the same way that the Apostle Paul, how he ends first chapter 15. He says, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We can be encouraged. We can have hope. We can always um, be very firm and solid in our relationship with the Lord because we know what is coming in the future. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And did you know that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we think about is every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that Jesus is going to return. Um, we, we should say with the Apostle John, when he sees all the, all the way that the world is going to end, after writing the book of Revelation, after seeing all those terrifying, scary things, how does the Apostle John respond? He responds this way, um, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So Jesus says, I'm coming soon. We need to always be ready. We need to be living our life knowing that Jesus is coming soon. And when John hears that Jesus is coming soon, this is how he responds. He says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hey, we're looking forward to that day. And by the way, when Jesus comes back, you and I will also get our resurrection bodies at that time. It's going to be amazing. And I am looking forward to that. So um, as we think about that, um, one of the things we remember is, is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Um, have you ever thought about yourself? Have you ever thought about your life? Have you ever seen, seen failures in your life? Have you ever thought about ways that you fall short, maybe sins from the past? One of the things that is so encouraging is that our future is not based on our works. It's not how good we are. It's not if we're good enough. It's not if we fail and we sin. Like our eternity is not based on us. Our eternity is based on the work of Jesus. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we remember. Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins and he paid the price for our sins. So you and I have nothing left to pay. And we get the credit for the righteous life that Jesus lived. And so that's what we think about when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember that Jesus came that he died on the cross for our sins. And then it goes on and it says this, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we do this, we remember Jesus is coming back. Um, we have tables up front, so while they're, while they're singing, um, when you're ready, just go up, get, get a cup, um, get, the, get the bread, take that. There are also tables in the back. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that we are going to have a resurrection body. And Lord, while we don't know everything, there are things you have told us. There are things that we can know. God, help us to embrace those things and to live in light of those things. And Lord, we thank you that our standing before you is not based on us. 
It is based on your work on the cross in your name. Amen.